Do any of you have sheep? Do, do, do any of you have on your property like living animal <laughs> sheep? They eat and they breathe and all that stuff. So Tanya, you do. Tell me what's one, one true fact about the sheep that are at your place? What are they like? Or, or maybe Micah or Christian. What, what's a sheep like? Fuzzy is the big word from the, from the, the Stalls Foods family. Who else? Anybody else have sheep at their place? Raise your hand high. I won't embarrass you. I might just ask you a question. Okay, Tucker, what, is your, what are the sheep like at your place? How many sheep do you have about? Um, we get like one every year, but we have like four main moms. Four main moms. Oh, so you've got, you've got some other ones. What are your sheep like? Give me one or two words that describe them. They're smelly, so they're fuzzy and they're smelly. Anybody else have sheep at their place? Or has anyone had sheep at their place in the past and they have them no longer? Any sheepers, shepherds, sheep? Oh, I'm sorry. So Elaine, tell me, what, um, what are sheep like in your experience? Give me a couple adjectives. I have fuzzy and smelly already. You can't use those. Very dependent. Oh, are, are they, they're, they're dependent. Are they intelligent? <laughs> no, that, that came from the back. Your congregation is helping. And, and you would say, yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, the better Judy's helped cut them. Is that a technical term? <laughs> Got to go cut the sheep. You don't butcher them. Shearing. Shearing the sheep. Is that what they do, Jess? I'm from Westchester. I, I did kind of ask about the people who had sheep and, and knew about them. Judy, you've sheared sheep. How would you describe them? Give me one word. They're strong. They're strong? So they're not just fluffy and smelly, but they're strong. Depending on the breed. Depending on the breed. Okay, okay. It's interesting to me. It's interesting to me. Not a lot of us have a lot of experience with sheep. Although some of you have more experience than you wish you had. But this whole sheep and shepherd picture comes up in scripture over and over and over again. This is one of those core illustrations that's used because, because sheep were such an important part of the life that was happening in Israel, both before the time of Christ and since. And so over and over and over, as God is trying to get through to his people, God is using these pictures through scripture to get people to connect with these ideas and keeps talking often about sheep and shepherds. And that's where we're going today and next week. We're going to be looking at John 10. Today we're going to look at the first 10 verses and we're going to look at this statement that Jesus made where he says, I am the gate for the sheep. Jesus says, I'm the gate for the sheep. And next week, Pastor Steve is going to be preaching on the second chunk of John 10, starting in verse 11, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. What does it mean for Jesus to be the gate for the sheep? What does it mean for Jesus to be the good shepherd? These are some of the things that we want to talk through. And, and, and I just think it's interesting for us as we get into this to acknowledge that while sheep may be a little bit foreign to us, other than the fact that they are sometimes strong, often smelly, and they are fluffy and maybe a little intelligent. One of the things that we need to remember is that Jesus equates us with the sheep over and over. People are the sheep. And some of us are fluffy. Some of us are strong, depending on the variety. Some of us are intelligent sometimes. And most all of us are stinky at one time or another. So, so think again, as we go through this John 10 piece, recognize and realize that whenever Jesus talks about sheep, he's talking about us. He's talking about humans, and, and let's see how this affects this talking about sheep. 
But before we dive right in, I do want to remind you of the context of where we've been. Last week, we were in John chapter 8, and we talked about how Jesus spoke to the people right around the Feast of Tabernacles, which would have been actually about this time of year. In fact, the Jews this year, just a couple weeks ago, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus said to the people at that time, he said, I am the light of the world. And he said in John 8, 31, that if you follow my teaching, you are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Jesus went on and said, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus said in John 8 that he is the son of God. He can set people free from their sins and they can be free indeed. That's John chapter 8. And then in John chapter 9, there's this fascinating story. And I would invite you to read it at home today. There's a long account of a man who was born blind, but then Jesus spit on the ground and made some mud with that spit and put it on the man's eyes and told this blind man to go and wash it off. And when the man did, he could see. And it says in John 9 verse 8, that the man's neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, aren't you the same guy that used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was, but others said, no, he just looks like that guy. Because honestly, when somebody was born blind and now they could see, that can't be him, right? So in John chapter nine, there's this story of Jesus as he was going along, saw this man born blind, healed his eyes. Some people said, oh, well, look at this amazing thing. Others like, no, that's not the same guy. It just looks like him. But the man himself insisted, I am that guy. See, identity theft was a problem even 2,000 years ago. And then the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders, these Jewish people who have been studying the scriptures, who were trying to follow every single little law, they were serious about following the law, but often they missed the point in how their hearts should follow God. These people summoned the man who had been blind. They said, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know that this man is a sinner. What happened? And in John 9, 25, this man replied, whether that guy's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And so in John chapter 9, after Jesus says, I am the light of the world, after Jesus says, I can set you free, and now as this man is seeing, light brought into his life, the religious leaders have to make a decision. Do they buy it or not? Are they on board or not? And through the rest of John chapter 9, they argue with this formerly blind man a little bit more. And when he didn't give them the answers they wanted, they said, well, you were just steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And it says at the end of John chapter 9 that they threw him out. These Pharisees knew all the scriptures. They knew all the rules. They knew all the holidays. They knew all the ceremonies. And now they're confronted with Jesus, who said he was the light of the world. Jesus, who has given this blind man sight. It's indisputable. The man's standing right in front of them. He says, I, I couldn't see my whole life, but now I can. And people said, yeah, he used to sit and beg. Now he doesn't have to. He can see. He can work. He can be what he wants to be. But the Pharisees, they couldn't see Jesus for who he was. They could see this man who everybody knew, and he could see them, but they were blind to what God was really doing. It's not the first time that happened. 
John read for us this morning from Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel was a prophet and he was a priest. He was called by God. And Ezekiel was living and active in in Judah 600 years before Jesus. So 600 years before this whole Jesus thing, six centuries before Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. 600 years before that, the religious leaders in Israel were a mess. It says in Ezekiel 34 that the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel and God said, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Again, there's that sheep shepherd language that everybody would have understood. God said to Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself, because the leaders of Israel have been so poor, because the leaders of Israel have been stealing from the sheep, because the leaders of Israel have not been looking out for anyone else beside themselves, God says, because of all that, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. God says in Ezekiel 34, verse 12, I will rescue them when they're scattered. In 13, I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. God says, I will pasture the people on the mountains of Israel, the ravines, and in all the settlements in the land. God says that he He will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land. God says, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. Why? Because the sleek and the strong were just those sheep who were pushing themselves around, pushing people out of the way. They got to the trough first, and they didn't back away until they were bloated and full. And God says, I will not have this anymore. In Ezekiel 34, 31, God says, you are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. There have been problems in Israel for centuries as the leaders have not been looking out for the people the way they should have been looked after. There have been leaders looking out for themselves, just getting sleek and fat off of the spoils, and yet the flock is being scattered. God says, no more. And all of the Pharisees Jesus was talking to knew that story. Every one of them. Remember, the Pharisees are those who are studying the Old Testament. The Pharisees are the ones who are looking at the prophecies and trying to figure everything out. The Pharisees knew who Ezekiel was. He was one of their forefathers. Many of them would have memorized these words that were included in Ezekiel 34. And so now here is Jesus, having just given sight to this blind man. Jesus, who just said, I am the light of the world. Jesus speaking to these Pharisees who are not in the time of Jesus, leading people the way they should have been. And here is Jesus saying to them, I am the good shepherd. I am what you've been waiting for. And some of them buy it, but most of them don't. That is the background. That is the deeper context to what Jesus says in John 10. And that's why in John 10, verse 1, he says, Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. 
As we look at John chapter 10, verse 1, we see Jesus speaking to these Pharisees who knew all of these prophecies that God spoke through Ezekiel, and they knew the 23rd Psalm that God said he would help them to lie down and greet pasture, and these people had experience with sheep. There were sheep all around the place. And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way as a thief and a robber, and everyone would have understood that it was said, sure. Only the shepherd has a right to be there. Only the shepherd has a right to lead. Of course, that would make sense. Jesus goes on and says in verse two, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And these Pharisees would have, would have and should have and could have been able to say, well, absolutely, because this is just basic what it means to live in Israel. In verse 3 of John chapter 10, Jesus says the gatekeeper, and the gatekeeper was often just kind of a hired hand. The shepherds from all over the area would often at night bring their sheep into a flock or a they bring their flocks into a fold that was um, sometimes on the side of a house or the side of a building, but it would have a, it would have a gate around it that was, that was a, a fence and a gate, and they would put the sheep there at night, and that was a safe place so that they were away from the animals and away from the, the worst elements. And, and oftentimes, because the shepherds wanted to go get some rest, they'd hire a, a young person to maybe one of their apprentices to be there at the gate. And in the morning when the shepherd came out, the, the gatekeeper would open the gate for him and the sheep would listen to his voice. Each shepherd would call out his sheep from among this big mixed flock so that they could take them out to pasture for the day. The gatekeeper, Jesus says, opens the gate for the shepherd and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And if you have pets, maybe your pet looks like a sheep, maybe your pet is a, a cow, maybe your pet's a horse or a dog or a cat, do you have any animals that answer when you call their name? Do you know what that's like? Some of you don't treasure that kind of a relationship with animals. Some of you really do. But we understand what it's like for an animal to respond to our voice, don't we? Doesn't that bring a thrill to you? You know the investment that it takes to get to that place where they know your name and they listen. Jesus says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for the shepherd and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And these first three verses of John 10 would have been very easy to understand. Everybody said, yeah, okay, sheep, shepherd, wonderful. Jesus, we got it. Verse four, Jesus continues speaking to these Pharisees, these Jewish religious leaders. He says in verse four, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. And everybody say, yes, of course, that's how sheeping works. That's how shepherding goes. This is what they do. And this is the turn though in verse five. Jesus says, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him just because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. I had to laugh. This happened to me just yesterday, not with sheep, but um, my, my in-laws are away for a bit, and my father-in-law has a number of beef cattle in his meadow, and the meadow is divided up into two. It's a, a kind of an upper spot and a lower spot. And he said, hey, if the grass in the, in the meadow that they're in gets, gets chewed down, he said, you can move them down to the, to the lower meadow. I said, cool, I'll, I'll do that. So yesterday, we were kind of in a hurry. We were just stopping in, but it looked like it'd be a good idea to move. And my father-in-law, um, he, he has a, a call that he gives when he uh, feeds the cows and when it's time for them to come up. And I'm not going to imitate it because obviously I can't do it. I'll tell you why here in just a moment. But, but he has this call and the, the cattle, they come. They know his voice. They, they know what he's saying, and they come. Yesterday, I've heard him do that. 
And, and I can manipulate my voice pretty well. And I gave that same call, and they just looked at me. <laughs> and in fact, two of them ran away a little bit, which annoyed me a great deal because I was kind of in a hurry, and I wanted to get, get going. But, so I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm not pop. I'll have to go out and do this. And so I, I kind of walked out around, and, and they wouldn't even, though I was outside of the meadow, I had now gotten their attention and they wouldn't even let me go around to get behind them. No matter how far out around they walked, they just kept running away. And they're still in that meadow today. <laughs> because they don't know my voice. They don't, they don't know my voice. I'm not the one who belongs there. Even though I had ideas about how to take care of them, they're gonna be fine. Mom and dad are coming home soon. Don't, don't worry, folks, don't worry. But that was a perfect illustration to me and touched my heart. They'll never follow a stranger, Jesus says. In fact, the sheep will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. I was walking through a meadow in Parksburg laughing at how God just illustrated my sermon in my heart to me. But I was also, I was at a funeral yesterday and the pastor was reflecting on John 10 and he gave an even better illustration. I really like this. He was talking about John 10, which was a fun coincidence. I was preaching about it today. And, uh, and he, said, he said, when Jesus talks about there being someone who comes in another way, he said, it's like when you get a substitute teacher in an elementary school classroom. How many of you remember having a substitute teacher come into your classroom? How did that go? <laughs> Were any of you that kid who said, let's see what we can get away with today? No, none of you did that, did you? Were any of you the rule-following kids? who just absolutely went insane because the other kids weren't being good. They're not listening. Why weren't they listening? Because this is a substitute teacher, right? And there are good substitute teachers and there are bad substitute teachers, but even the very best ones often struggle to manage a classroom. Why? Because the kids don't know them. And the kids know that they might not know that we're not allowed to go get a drink at the water fountain. They might not know. This is what it's like when a stranger tries to lead the sheep. Jesus is giving these people in Israel this example about sheep and shepherd, but I think some of you can understand what it's like to try to herd cows when they don't know you. Some of you know what it's like to be in a classroom. Some of you have been the substitute teacher. Some of you know what it's like when they don't know your voice. And Jesus says, that's what sheep are like. It says in verse 6 of John chapter 10 that Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. See, Jesus has been going through this sheep thing, and everybody's like, okay, shepherd, sheep. Eh, cool, get it, whatever. Jesus didn't do the substitute teacher, and he didn't talk about beef cattle in Parksburg, but he talked about the sheep. And, and these people who should have been able to see, these people who had the background of the Old Testament all through their mind and all on their hands and all in their heads, it hadn't yet traveled to so many of their hearts because they couldn't get it. It says that the Pharisees just didn't understand what he was telling them. And so it says in verse 7, therefore, because of that, because they didn't get it, Jesus said again, very truly, starts the same way as he did in verse 1, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. He gives them a little bit of a different picture. In the first couple of verses, it's kind of this idea that, well, he's, he, they should have been able to see that he's the real shepherd and, and there are bad leaders who have come in different ways. And, and now he, he uses this other picture. He says, okay, guys, I'm the gate for the sheep. 
All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Jesus says there have been other people who have been trying to lead Israel away from God. There have been other people who have been trying to take God's flock away from him, but the sheep haven't listened to them. Jesus says in verse 9 of John 10, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out, and they will find pasture. Jesus gives them this picture and says, there are sheep, and we know that they come in to the fold at night, and they go out during the day. They come in for safety at night, and they go out for pasture during the day. They're coming and going. They're following the shepherd. Jesus says, okay, if you need a picture that you can get, I'm the gate. I allow this to happen. I'm the one who frees things up so the sheep don't have to be afraid. They can go out because the gate has been there to protect them. They can come in because the gate will be there to protect them. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and they will find pasture. The thief, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus speaking to these Pharisees, Jesus speaking to these leaders of Israel, Jesus speaking to these folks who know all of the stories about bad leadership and God saying, I will be the shepherd. God saying, I will come in and take care of this. Jesus speaking to these Pharisees says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But he says, I have come that these sheep may have life and have it to the full. Now, we get that picture, don't we? We read back over this now, and, and we can see maybe we're not kind of blinded the way that the Pharisees were in that time. Maybe we can say, okay, Jesus is the shepherd. He leads us. You even sang it this morning. Savior like a shepherd lead us, Right? Oh, Jesus is the gate. Okay, we, we need to go through Jesus to get to salvation. He is the only way to salvation. In fact, we know John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. None shall come to the Father except through me. We get it, right? We know that salvation comes through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know that yet, let me tell you that it is true that salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. This is the witness of Scripture. We know this in our minds. We've read it in our Bibles. You've heard it coming from my voice this morning. But here's what I wonder. How many of us really live as if Jesus is the gate? And how many of us are really following as if he is the shepherd? Because sometimes I think we can fall into the trap of being like those Pharisees. Those Pharisees who 2,000 years ago, they had all the answers. They knew all the scriptures. They remembered all of the passages and they could quote all the prophecy but it never got into their heart to a place where they could see what Jesus was saying to them. Even when there was a blind man now seeing right in front of them, telling them, Jesus healed me. They said, ah, get out of here. You're just causing trouble. How many of us and how many of the people in our families, how many of the people in our world have the evidence of Jesus right in front of us? We have the words of Jesus right in front of us. Some of us memorize them in Sunday school. And yet we live our life as if real life and salvation is coming from somewhere else. I think a lot of us don't try to, but it kind of happens that way. 
There's a bunch of reasons why this happens. I think these Pharisees, they had certain assumptions based on the prophecy that they understood. They had certain assumptions about who Jesus would be, where he'd be from, and what he would do. And their assumptions about the future would not allow them to understand who Jesus was. Do any of you have those kind of assumptions? Do any of you ever fall into the trap of, of trying to figure out the future in such a way that you might never be able to see Jesus when he comes? I wonder about that. I wonder if any of us have created such structures of prophecy and prediction that we'll never actually get to see Jesus despite the proof. I wonder. I mean, we need to be studying well, church. I hope you are reading your Bible, all of it, from the beginning to the end, Genesis to Revelation. Study it. Put it in your hearts. Pray hard. Listen for God. But we need to be so careful because we can get into this place where even when we study, we can be deceived if we are not continuing to follow after our good shepherd. Because things do happen in ways that we don't expect sometimes. Situations do come along that challenge us that push us. I wonder if, if, we're following, if we're following the right path towards life all the time or, or if any of us, like the Pharisees, have gotten distracted. This week I was listening to a podcast by Kerry Newoff. Um, Kerry Newoff, let me spell his name for you, N-I-E-U-W-H-O-F. Kerry Newhoff. He's been a pastor for a long time, and now lately he's been doing a, a leadership podcast where he just interviews different people and, and talking about how do Christians need to be thinking about the world. And this week, Kerry Newhoff interviewed um, four different people talking about artificial intelligence, AI, and, and what's happening in that world. And these were, these were Christians who were, um, some of them were professors, some of them were ethicists and philosophers, and, and they were all paying a lot of attention to the world of tech and, and asking questions like, we know what we can build, but should we? We know what we can do, but should we? We know what's possible, but should we? All those ethical kind of questions. And it was really interesting. I, I was just kind of listening to, to some of this stuff, and, and, and there, was, um, there was a comment. People, people said, and I want to I say this just right, so let me read here. He said, There have always been a lot of extremely rich, extremely scared men who have been concerned about stretching out their lives, and they're used to throwing money at their problems. And they said, This is where these solutions like freeze my body so that they can fix me in the future come in. This is where stuff like extreme plastic surgery comes in. I don't like the way I look, so operate on me. This is where the stuff comes in that says, well, maybe if I can implant this, I can, I can save my memories forever until they can build me a new body. But it just made me chuckle. There have always been a lot of extremely rich, extremely scared men who have been concerned about stretching out their lives, and they're used to throwing money at their problems. Do you know about that kind of a situation? Does that bang up at all against Jesus saying, I am the gate, salvation comes through me? Another spot as I was listening to some of those, some of those podcasts, they, they, said, uh, they, they said that by and large, the folks, especially in Silicon Valley, who are writing so much of the computer code and who are working so much on the tech, they're, they're not really thinking about the ethics of it. It's just, can we do this? Can we get this done? Can we make this work? And so these, these ethicists and these thinkers are, are talking about how 
So many people are just trying to build. And they're building a tool that will eventually be used by people either for good or for bad because that's how all the tools are, right? You make a really sharp knife. Well, that can be, that can be extremely helpful as a tool or it can be extremely deadly as a weapon. And so they talked about artificial intelligence. Sometimes when you talk about artificial intelligence, it gets so deep you start to feel like a real dummy. See what I did there? Artificial intelligence, real dummy. It's one of those jokes that hasn't come out yet in public, but I think it's got a lot of, <laughs> got a lot of potential. But artificial intelligence, it's one more of those things that keeps popping up in our world as something that is an advancement, it is a tool, it is an incredible opportunity and potentially a massive threat. And yet over and over it seems like humanity has to be reminded that when we are in charge of things, we almost always mess it up. When there are great tools and great threats, there will be people who will try to use them for good, and there will be people who will try to use them for bad. And on this podcast about the ethics of technology, it was just interesting how many of these, how many of these professors and ethicists kept calling the listeners back to the truth that we don't need to be afraid of technology. We, if we fear anything, it needs to be ourselves. Because so often we are tempted to go down the path that all of these Pharisees would have heard about in Ezekiel 34 of, of the strong sheep just pushing aside the weak ones and getting fatter and sleeker and stronger while the weak ones wither and suffer. Humanity ever since, ever since Adam and Eve left the garden, Humanity continues to make decisions that are contrary to the will of God. Continues to make decisions that are full of sin and have horrible ramifications. Continues to build things without fully thinking through whether we should. We just get wrapped up in whether we can. And then Jesus speaks as he did to the Pharisees and says, guys, you are not doing this the way that you ought to. He says, I am the life. It's not all the gaining and the striving and the pushing. It's not the power and it's not the money and it's not the influence. Those things, Jesus says, those are not life. I am the life. I am the gate. Come through me. I am the shepherd. Follow me. I am the light. Let me show you the way. And yet humans for thousands of years have continued to fall into that trap of following ourselves. So what do we do? We continue to study. We continue to pray. We must think and we must engage and we must be talking about all the stuff that's happening around us. But I think over all of it, we have to remember and keep reminding each other that Jesus indeed is the gate and life only comes through him. And so if you see your brothers and sisters, those even who are trying to follow hard after Jesus, if you see a brother or sister who's kind of getting off track and it looks like they're putting their hope in something else, call them back gently. Hey, that's not hope, brother. That's not hope. That's not life, sister. Come back to Jesus. I mean, God loves the world enough that he gave his son 
to die on a cross for us. God loves the world enough that he said, I'll get rid of these bad leaders and and I'm going to be your shepherd, Israel. Church, as you sit here today and as you consider the truth that Jesus is the gate, I, I wonder, I wonder, are all of the places in your life pointing towards that hope? Or are you just a scared, a scared boy? throwing all your resources at some hope for life that's never going to amount to anything except a laughable example on a podcast. Why don't we take a minute and pray to this good gate? Why don't we pray to our good shepherd? Why don't we pray to the one who said he would always hear us? Let's pray and ask him for an increased measure of awareness, an increased measure of wisdom, and an increased measure of hope as we move forward in these times. Can we pray together? God, we know that you are a good shepherd. Help us to hear your voice. Lord, so many other voices try to break in Lord, there are lots of robbers and thieves who would look to take advantage of us, who would look to distract us from the mission and the life and the salvation that you've called us to. Lord, we're tempted to imagine that all kinds of things will lead us to life. Our technology, that'll lead us to to better life. Our money, that'll lead us to better life. Our stuff, that'll lead us to better life. If we can just get our family to work out right, that will lead us to real life. Lord, forgive us for all of these idols that we've stacked up against you. Jesus, you've said that you are the gate. You will watch over us in our coming and our going. You will give us peace, protection, and rest. So Lord Jesus, we, we just call on you now. Help us, help us to see things as they really are. Help us to hope only in the places where hope is real. And Lord, please give us strength to follow you in all the places where you lead us. Thank you, Jesus, for being the light of the world. Thank you for being a good shepherd. Thank you, Lord, for being our gate to salvation. Lord, help us to to know these things as real today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.